The text for today is Romans 12, 1 through 8. I'm going to read. It'll be on the screen behind me. It says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. In accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We, we have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. This is God's word. Thank you, Kenny. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. So good to see your faces. Missed you guys. I love you guys. Love our church. Those of you I can see, it's kind of dark in here. Is it dark in here? See you guys? Feels a little dark. Woo! New year, 2017. How many of you guys are glad it's over? Yeah. <laughs> it's a brand new year, new hope, new possibilities. Actually, uh, last year was, was pretty good for New City in, um, in a lot of ways, things to celebrate. One of those things is that we're a growing church. Praise God. You know, last year, our, our kids' ministry grew by like 50%. Um, <laughs> it's awesome. Um, so with growth, of course, comes change. And we have to ask ourselves as we enter into this vision Sunday, as we grow, what kind of church do we want to become? You know, because we know what kind of church we are. You look around the room, you, even when people come here for the first time, often they say, um, it's, it's crazy because you guys don't even have a greeting team, and I've never felt more welcomed at a, at a public gathering of, of something, right? Because there's this sense of family at New City. Can we turn the mic down a little? It's a little hot. Thanks. Um, I just hear myself really loud. Are you, do you, it, it, am I the only one? No? Okay. I'm going to have to whisper. I'll do this. Um, and so, uh, yeah, anyway. So we feel like family, but then the question is, like, as you think about that, um, we all only have a certain amount of relational ability within our lives. And so we're kind of like Lego pieces. We have a certain amount of connectors. So once you run out of connectors with Legos, what do you got to do? Find new pieces, right? <laughs> and so what do you, how do we grow that safe space, that, safe space that, that room of grace, right, that we've been privileged to have, that place where you can feel known as you are, and yet be loved right where you are. How do we grow that as our church grows? 
Or this church is big on gospel-centered ministry, right? You've got preaching. I'm doing it right now. You've got leaders who come and try to bring the gospel to bear on your life. But as the church grows, how do we grow that? How do we develop new gospel-centered leaders? We have gospel communities on mission, which is kind of the main thing we focus on. Is this still out? Oh, better. Okay, good. Um, Whoa. (laughs) All right. Is that better? Okay. And um, so gospel communities on mission, we have uh, five of them right now all over the city, and they're all kind of busting at the seams. So where do people go? Do we just like just keep growing, growing new ones? Well, we've got to multiply gospel communities on mission. How do we keep growing? How do we meet the challenges of a growing church? And so Kenny and I at our elder retreat last year, we prayed about this. We sought the Lord and we said, God, what what do you want to say to us, to New City next year? What can we focus on, a, a theme, if, as it were, for the next year? And this word, this theme of equip came to us. Because we want to increasingly become a church, uh, a family of God, in which people don't just come and receive from a limited number of people. You know, the classic 10% of people that do 90% of the work kind of thing. But we want to become a church in which everyone is equipped and knows the unique aspects they bring to the table and knows how to share the good news with one another. And we want to do that this year like we never have before. We want to help you guys see God's vision for your life and equip you to understand the unique things you bring to the table. And we want to see you set free to go out and do ministry, whether it's plant new churches, plant new missional communities. We, we don't have a, uh, a grow and retain strategy. We've got a train and release strategy as a church, right? We want to send people out and see the gospel saturate this city. Amen? That's, that's our heart. Our call to transform the world can't happen until we're transformed. So this theme of equip this year is all about moving us in that direction. And this sermon is all about that too. We're looking at Romans 12, 1 through 8. And the first word of this text is uh, the word therefore. So of course, if, if you had been alive at this time and you're reading this original letter, there's not numbers and chapters and verses. It's just a scroll on parchment. And so you've read everything up until now. You've read Romans chapters 1 through 11. And In Romans chapters 1 through 11, Paul lays out the most beautiful, picturesque understanding of the gospel that I I know of anywhere, right? How he starts off in Romans chapter 1, 16, he says, for I'm not, what, ashamed of the gospel because it is, you guys remember, the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So Paul starts unpacking the gospel, and he doesn't stop for 11 chapters. He talks about how broken we are apart from God, and not just the people who don't know God, even the people that do. The people who are supposed to have it all together in the church, he says, man, they're really legalistic, and they're missing the point. And this big issue starts to show up of self being at the center, regardless of where you're at. Regardless of whether you have known God your whole life or whether you've never heard his name, self is at the center. And so Paul describes the good news of the gospel and how it saves us from that and how Jesus Christ came and, like we just celebrated Christmas, born of a virgin, right? 
God, manifest in flesh, came down into human history and became a man and lived a perfect life for all the times that we don't, right? <laughs> or at least I don't. Anybody else? Yeah, just me. And for all the times that, that we screw up, for all the times that we ignore God, for all the times we put self in the center, Jesus Christ lived a selfless life. And then he gave that life away, not only in his life, but in his death for us. He paid the price for our self-centered brokenness called sin, right? Us trying to be the lords of our own life. And then he didn't stop there. Thank God. Three days later, what happened? He rose. Amen. Amen. Yeah. You guys know the gospel here. That's good. In the right place. So, so that's what Paul starts off with. That's the therefore. Chapters 1 through 11. In light of all this, therefore, now I'm going to tell you how to live in light of all that. And before he goes into the rest of this book, he gives a beautiful summary in these eight verses. And he says, what? He says that we're called to live our lives as a living sacrifice. Our response to the gospel is nothing less than being a living sacrifice. So Paul, in a nutshell, gives us three points we're going to walk through briefly today. Number one, the essence of God's vision for your life. The aspects of God's vision for your life and the power we need to fulfill God's vision for our life. You guys ready? All right, let's dive in. Number one, the essence. The essence is in this phrase, if you believe everything I told you, Paul says. If you understand it, you must be a living sacrifice. Now, that's a weird phrase. What is a living sacrifice? It would have been weird to the original hearers, too, because they're familiar with sacrifice. They've seen animal sacrifice all over the world in temples and tabernacles, right? But they've, they've never seen what Paul says here. He says it's a living sacrifice. It's, he's being deliberately paradoxical. Right? And that, that word sacrifice, is, is the Greek word, it basically means a killing, a living killing, right? So God's vision for your life starts here with something that's paradoxical. And in some ways, it's similar to the Old Testament sacrifice, but in other ways, it's very unlike the Old Testament sacrifices, okay? There's a couple ways in which it is unlike it. First of all, those old sacrifices were bloody. Why? Because it was atoning for sins. That was the, the thought process back then. The Old Testament Bloody sacrifices were atonement. They were salvation. It was, it was in order to get you right with God, blood had to be spilled. And that's absolutely not true, thank God, of how God is calling us to live today. You don't say, hey, God, I'm going to live for you. I'm going to do all these things for you. Then you'll forgive me. Then you'll accept me. You'll take me to heaven. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel message is good news because Jesus sacrificed ends all the guilt sacrifices and ends all the sin offerings and ends all the bloody Old Testament sacrifice. So this vision of our life that Paul's talking about is different from the Old Testament sacrifice because it's not about fear and guilt and shame and sin. It's, a, it's an offering, a sacrifice of gratitude and praise. So first of all, when we say you're a living sacrifice, it does not mean you're atoning for your sin or buying God's favor with your blood. Right? Secondly, Living sacrifices, unlike the Old Testament, are, are not short-lived. You know, in the Old Testament, you walk up to the altar, you put the animal on, it's over, it's done. You know, you put the grain on, light it on fire, and it's done, right? 
Living sacrifices aren't done that fast, are they? My old mentor used to say, you know the problem with a living sacrifice? Keeps crawling off the altar. (laughs) It's true, right? A living sacrifice means that every day, every hour, every moment, right now, we are purposefully and passionately and perpetually presenting our lives to him. Right? That's, that's a living sacrifice. So it's not over, it's, it's lifelong. Thirdly, it's, uh, it's unlike the Old Testament sacrifices in some ways, but it's like them in others. Paul wouldn't have used this word sacrifice with that word killing in it, that, that, that grotesque word, unless something was put to death. Something is dying. What's he saying? He's saying, you're not going to fulfill God's vision for your life. You're not living in light of the gospel unless... You put to death the idea that you have a right to live any way you choose. Now, I can't believe I'm saying this right here in SoCal, sunny San Diego. I don't know that there's ever been a culture whose values are more opposed to this way of thinking. But it's so counterintuitive. So just take a ride with me down this wormhole of gospel and and living sacrifice for a second, okay? Because I think it'll make sense to you by the end. But what it means to live out God's vision for your life starts off, it's first that you put to death your right to live as you choose. You put to death the idea that you belong just to yourself. You put to death this belief that you know best. You put to death and you give it to God. And and that's tough. It feels like a death, right? It feels like a death to say, you know what? I'm giving you the steering wheel. Jesus, take the wheel, right? (laughs) Carrie Underwood got the gospel right, kind of. Feels like a death, but on the other side, it's life. That's the paradox. You know, the gospel is death followed by resurrection. Yeah, resurrection, new life. That's it. And so it's this living sacrifice paradox. That's why it's a dying to self that leads to a new abundant life. But that's often the opposite of what we believe or live in our culture in the West because we, when we look for life, where do we look for life? What do we put in the center? Is it God? Comfort. Comfort. Yeah, that's a big one. What are some other things we put in the center? Belongings. Belongings. Comfort. <laughs> Comfort. Anything else? Can I get comfort one more time? Going once. Our job, our career, yeah. We, I mean, I was, I was thinking about it because I got this uh, new fandangled device for uh, Christmas. Anybody know what it's called? iPad, right? I, yeah. That's a marketing genius. iPad, iPhone, iTunes. Get I in there, people will buy it because we, we're obsessed with ourselves. You go in the grocery aisle, you look at the magazines, you see the celebrities who have everything. Like everything that people I run into every day are pursuing. All the money, all the romance with the hottest person, all the education, all the comfort in life. They've got it all, and they're throwing it away, and they're miserable, and their life's falling apart. Because the more we heap our life around self, it's like this black hole, and the more stuff we get, the bigger the black hole gets, and we just never satisfy. And that's a picture of our culture, right? Uh, another picture of this that uh, God really showed me a few years back 
was this idea of uh, a self-centered solar system, right? Because, you know, what's, what's at the center of a solar system? Soul, yeah, sun, that's right. And, and everything's kind of spinning around it. It's got all this gravitational pull, and it keeps everything in its proper place. But can you imagine if, if the earth just said to the sun one day, you know what, I want to be the center of the solar system. Sun, get out of the way, here I come, right? <laughs> just paraded right into the middle of the solar system. What would happen? <laughs> we would all die. Would it be good even for the earth? No. And that's a picture of our lives when we put self in the center. And then everything starts going chaotic and falling apart and planets are crashing into each other. And we're like, what in the world? God, come help. Come be the center of my life again. And he says, yeah, but you're going to revolve around me. And I'll put everything back in its proper orbit and its proper place. But it's not around you. It's, it's around me. I know where everything is supposed to be. And that's why this whole idea of a living sacrifice is good news. Because, yeah, it seems like a death to not be at the center of our life. But actually, it's the only true life we have. When I realized this, I was, um, man, I had been, uh, my wife and I were married. We were, uh, it's good when you're married to your wife. Um, (laughs) um, And we, we had a wireless business, and I really screwed up big time. I went to a missions conference. And the pastor, I won't go into the whole sermon he preached, but I was just like super convicted, like, what am I doing with my life? These people, their teeth are rotten out of their head. They live in the jungle and they give everything to God. And here I am making all this money and uh, my whole life's revolving around money. You know what? Let's sell our store. Let's go for it in God. You know, we're going we're gonna to be church planners. We're going to be missionaries. So we did. And, and it, was, it was tough, man. We left everything. We left a comfortable lifestyle and basically became poor pastors at the time in a, in a larger church, and then we went and planted another church, and man, it was, it was tough, and I'm like, okay, but it's going to pick up, you know, I see, I'd see in the news, like, church grows to 6,000 in one year, I'm like, like, <laughs> uh, it's three years now, we got 40 people, come on, so, you know, you start feeling disappointed, disenfranchised, angry, with God? I left all this for you? Why aren't you blessing this? I did all this for you. I'll keep doing this if. I was, I was burned out. I was exhausted. I remember my, uh, during that time, my grandmother passed away, and I, actually, I had to take a trip. I didn't, I didn't have enough money to fly, so I took the train, um, which gave me a lot of hours to think and read. And um, while I was meditating, I, praying and reading through Scripture, that story of the rich young ruler came. Uh, to me, and, and God highlighted something, because I'd never really identified with that story. Rich guy comes to Jesus, and Jesus is like, sell all you have, give the money to the poor, and then follow me. And I was like, yeah, that's for people with money. It doesn't really hit my heart, and all of a sudden, in that moment when I was reading that story, God said, you have treasures. You have things that are in your heart that you value, and the problem is they're at the center of your life. I want you to walk away from them ministry, my parenting, the way my kids were, my wife, I, I felt a lot of pride. I was starting a nonprofit. I was going to change the world and finding my identity and all that stuff. And God said, sell it. And I knew he wasn't telling me to leave my wife and kids and 
quit ministry. But he was saying, like, that's in your heart. Get it out of the center of your heart. You think you're doing all this for me. You're not. Yeah. See, I developed this idea of a heroic life. I could, if I could just live that, then I know I have value. Then I know I was someone at worth. But I was using my life. I wasn't using my life for, for God's purpose. I was using God for my life's purpose. He wasn't Lord of my life. I was, and everything was falling apart. In other words, because I kept saying, I'll keep obeying if, if you give me this, if you give me life this way, I was, I was saying, I'll keep obeying if. Whatever's on the side, the other side of that if, that's really the thing you're sacrificing for, not God. And you see that place where it says, this is, in the text, I urge you, give your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your true and proper worship. What it's really saying is give yourself, sacrifice yourself, worship God, live for him because you're sacrificing, you're worshiping, you're, you're living for something anyway. Last night, uh, my kids, we started the Harry Potter movies because they're all on HBO right now, all eight of them, and uh, Gavin has never seen them. So we started watching, and I'm sorry if you think that's what, like witchcraft and evil, I'm going to hell, I'll, it's okay, I love you anyway. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's, there's this part in the first movie um, called the, uh, it, it's the Mirror of Erised, and, and, and Harry sits down in front of it. Have you guys seen that part? You remember that in the books in the movie? And um, he sits down in front of it, and he's blown away, because in the mirror, he sees his parents. And the reason why that's amazing for Harry is because he's, he's lost his parents. They're dead. They're gone. But in the mirror, he sees them looking at him, loving him. They've got a, their arm on his, his shoulder, you know, the mirror of Erised, which it's a children's book. It's not terribly, you know, witty. Erised is desire spelt backwards. So it's pretty, pretty obvious what, what's going on here. But in the mirror, he sees that. So he's so excited, he runs and tells his friend Ron Weasley. He says, Ron! you got to come check out this mirror. So Ron comes in, and he thinks that Ron's going to see his parents, but instead Ron says, oh, I'm a sports champion, right? I've got it all together. I'm the head of the prefect. And they're confused. Why do I see this? Why do you see that? Until, you know, uh, Harry Potter's mentor comes in and explains. And he says, the mirror shows you the deepest and most desperate desire of your heart. Because everyone has something, right? Hope in something. And, and they say, if I have that, then I'll be okay. Then I'll know who I am. Then I'll have meaning or purpose in life. Then I'll be happy. Everybody will see something in the mirror. What's that thing for you? What's, what's your deepest desire for your heart? Of course you've got one. Whatever that is, whatever that thing is, if I had that, then I'd be happy. Then I'd have meaning, joy, value, you know. Then I'll know who I am. Everybody has that. Everybody's living for something. Everybody is sacrificing for something. And whatever that thing is, it completely orients your life. It completely controls you. In fact, the mentor said something that caught my attention. He said, we're going to get rid of this mirror. we got to hide it because the trouble is people waste away before it. So what is J.K. Rowling trying to get at with this metaphor? I think she's saying the same thing that uh, Kenny used this quote uh, a few months back. Becky Pippard says, I've got it on the screen. Whatever controls us is our Lord. The person who seeks power is controlled by power. The person who lives for acceptance of others is controlled by 
the people that he or she seeks to please. But one thing is certain, we do not control ourselves. We are controlled by the Lord of our life. You're not free. You're giving your life away somewhere. You're living for something. Something's at the center. Everyone sees something in the mirror. And what the gospel says is that God, who is infinitely wise and infinitely kind, he's the only one who won't leave you wasting away. He's the only one that actually offers life in the place of the sacrifice that you're making. And I urge you guys, I urge you to make your life a living sacrifice. That's the longest point. Uh, Point number two, the aspects of God's vision for your life will be briefer. I'd like to show you three aspects of being a living sacrifice. First of all, it's holistic. Being a living sacrifice affects all of your life, holistically. Okay, he says, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And that would have been strange to readers, especially Greeks and Romans, because most of them are Gnostic. You guys know what Gnostics believe? The body, physical world is bad. In the spiritual world, the soul, that's good. But Paul takes it to the body. He says, I I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And he doesn't mean, I only want your bodies. I don't care about your souls. I mean, in fact, that would would contradict verse 3. Because in verse 3, he talks about how our inner attitudes are important. But to make your life a living sacrifice is to say, it's not enough to simply have gospel belief. What you do matters. Your body is how your soul acts in the world. Your soul doesn't act independent of your body. Your thoughts can't do anything alone. Your feelings can't do anything alone, only together with with your body, right? (laughs) Because you're a whole person, most of you. If you want to see what someone believes, you just watch their life. You see what's going on in their heart by the way they live their life. When Paul says, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, he's really saying, offer every part of your life. It's holistic. And then he says, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. This world has a pattern. The water we swim in, the way people find their identity in what they do or in what they see in the mirror, their love, their security, their career, and they they search for their own vision without even talking to God. They ignore God's vision for their life. They live with self in the center of their solar system. And Paul says, guys, don't do that. Don't let this world press you into its mold. Be a rebel. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world anymore. I want you to be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How? As you see God's love and mercies, he says, by the mercies of God, as you see God's love and mercy for you in the gospel, it transforms your life because it renews your mind day after day. That's why you can't live God's vision for you unless you're constantly rehearsing the gospel in your heart, unless you're constantly around a people who are fluent in the gospel and helping you apply it to life. We tracking? All right, cool. Um, hmm. Skip that. Number two, healing. It's not just holistic, it's, it's healing. He says in verse three, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. So Paul's saying that if you understand the gospel, you won't think too highly of yourself or too lowly of yourself, but rather you'll have a sober, healthy, accurate judgment of yourself. Right? 
everybody has a version of like a self-understanding or self-esteem, self-image, right? What do we normally base that on? Like, we have these things that we say, um, I decide I'm a good person if I do this or if I am this. And then if you're living up to your own standards, how do you feel about yourself? Pretty good. Yeah, it was a good day. I feel pretty superior. Actually, that person doesn't live up to my standards, so I'm way better than them, right? And so we have these good days. And then what happens when we don't live up to our own standards? <laughs> Sucks. So our self-image, our self-esteem, our identity is on this roller coaster. Good day, bad day, because it's all based on works, right? But in the gospel, Christians have access to an absolutely unique kind of identity and self-image that nobody else has. The gospel will heal you because the gospel says, yeah, you're broken. You're, you're a sinner. You don't deserve anything really on your own. You're more broken than you'd even like to believe. But at the same time, in the gospel, you're more loved and accepted by God than you can even imagine. You've been given, he set his affection on you. He's loved you. He chose you from before the foundations of the world. Do you realize how much value you have because God loves you? And that helps us have a, a healthy understanding of ourselves because it humbles us down where we can't think too highly of ourselves. And at the same time, it lifts us up where we can't beat ourselves up and hate ourselves. We tracking? Yeah. Thirdly, so those are the two brief ones. Here's, here's the third one, and this is kind of where we're pulling the vision stuff for the year. The third aspect we're told here is that if you begin to make this decision to become a living sacrifice and you begin to work out the gospel in every area of your life, you'll become a gifted servant. That's why Paul's talking about these gifts. He starts talking about preaching and administration and counseling and mercy and charity and leading. Notice two things about these gifts. First of all, every Christian has one. Every Christian's gifted. And I know some of you are like, me? Yes, you. And others of you are like, yeah, I know. <laughs> okay, just slow down. <laughs> right? But every Christian has a gift. And secondly, right, we have different gifts. He says to each are given different gifts. What's that mean? First of all, every Christian should be engaged in gospel-centered ministry. Where are you using your gifts that God's given you? I mean, I know in America we like to be served, but we, we, you know, Jesus came, God in the flesh, and said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. It calls us into that self-sacrifice serving lifestyle. So, so I know that's not popular in America, but it should be popular in New City, okay? All right. You're not following Jesus if you just attend church in order to be served and not to serve. And what that means is you shouldn't just receive gospel ministry. You should learn to give gospel ministry. You've got to be equipped for it. You know, Ask not what your church can do for you. <laughs> okay, secondly, everybody's gifted differently. In other words, you're unique. Okay, verse four, for each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So Paul says, we're like a body, right? And the finger is not like the foot, and the eye is not like the ear. You guys are familiar with the metaphor. And every single Christian is as unique as a snowflake, right? As a fingerprint. 
You have certain abilities, certain gifts, certain experiences. And guys, that's not really a popular viewpoint in our culture. All right? Uh, did you guys see the Simon Sinek video that went viral on millennials? He talks about like, hey, one of the biggest problems in our culture is entitlement that comes from everybody thinking they're unique and special. Here, here's what he says. Uh, the generation that is called the millennials, too many of them grow up subject to failed parenting strategies where they were told they were special all the time. They were just told that they could have anything they want in life just because they want it. That actually makes them worse. In other words, he's saying that if we believe we're special, we tend to become self-absorbed. Yeah, it happens, doesn't it? Quite a bit, actually. Um, so what are we supposed to do about that? Well, a lot of people in our culture just swing the other way. Anybody like Fight Club? Like one of my favorite books of all time? Yes, I quote it all the time. Tyler, <laughs> Tyler Durden in Fight Club, written by Chuck Palahniuk, he says this. You are not special. You are not a beautiful and unique snowflake. <laughs> the same decaying organic matter is everything else. We're all part of the same compost heap. We're all singing, all dancing crap of the world. Okay, so either you're unique and you're going to blow it and become self-absorbed, or you're not unique and you're just all part of the same pile of crap. That's, that's our options. Or those are only options. See, in our text, Paul is saying the problem isn't that you're unique. You are. You're created unique. The problem is that apart from the gospel and finding your identity there, you tend to make your uniqueness all, all about you. You put self in the center. You, you, you begin to find your identity in your gifts instead of the giver. Right? And that's why it's so important to see God's vision for our lives because self-sacrifice is the precursor to self-discovery. Why? You can't become selfish when you're living on the altar. You can't become proud when you're living in light of God's mercies. You can't make it all about you when you're giving your life away to God and his community on mission in the world. In fact, Paul encourages us to discover and live out our uniqueness in verse 5. Look how he says it. So in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. How do you discover your uniqueness? Do you know? Paul says you find your uniqueness in the context of community. In the same way in which a body part finds its uniqueness in context with its relation to the body. Right? I'm different from that part. Oh, I've got a unique use. Right? Does that make sense? You discover your uniqueness as you give yourself away to God through his family on mission in the world. The only way to have life-changing vision is to have a vision that sees beyond your life. And it's awesome because as you share your gifts with others around you, this, I'll wrap with this verse here, this section, verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is, if it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Giving your life away to others is what we're called to do. But let's be honest for a second. How many of you guys ever give your life away to people that, that just take, 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 take? Anybody? Yeah, that sucks, right? But this picture that Paul is painting, he's saying that basically giving your life away to those who give their life back for you, that's sublime. 
So this picture of Christian community is people who are all using their gift in tandem with one another. And as you share your unique gift set with them and they share back with you, picture how healthy that can be. I mean, imagine that. Because finally, you don't have to do everything or be perfect. Finally, you're free to be who God shaped you to be and you don't have to try to be anybody else. Finally, you don't have to try to be a fully functioning body of Christ all on your own. You're free to embrace your uniqueness, your part in it, along with your flaws. And you're free to give grace to other people who are different and unique from you and feel different and unique from you at times and have their own unique flaws. And you're free to work together and together be the body of Christ. And here's what that means for you. That means because you're here in San Diego sitting here today, if you're a Christian and if you have these gifts, then there are some people only you are going to be able to touch. There are some people out there beyond these walls and in our neighborhoods, in our networks. There's some people right here in New City that only you can reach with the gospel. You have your name on them, as it were. So don't give in to the cynicism of this world. And don't give in to the pattern of this world and, 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 and get pressed into its mold. There is an adventure that God has planned for your life and I know I sound like a youth pastor in this moment. <laughs> but there is. There are all sorts of things that God has laid out for you to do. God has a bigger plan for your life, a bigger vision for your life than you do. But you have to be willing to lay yours down. And probably the problem, probably part of the reason many of us have not experienced that is because like me, a lot of us haven't actually laid our lives down for so this is getting not only into God's vision for you, but for this church and our hope for 2018. And I'll say this briefly. I just want to paint a picture of where we're going. Um, Paul has a similar passage in Ephesians 4 where he says that God gave gifts to his church, the gifts of the people. God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers for the equipping of the saints for the works of ministry so that the body of Christ may be built up. So God gave these people these gifts, these ministers to the church, not to do just all the ministry, but to equip God's people for the works of ministry so that the whole body can be built up with each other into the head, which is Christ. That's the picture of Christian maturity, right? So, so read Ephesians 4. It's amazing. We're going to dip into that quite a bit this year, I'm sure. But just briefly, I want to touch in there and say, uh, I grew up in a church culture where the ministers were the people who were paid to preach. Anybody else? Yeah, yeah, the paid professional ministers did all the ministry, but that's not what we see in the New Testament. So I'm going to do a call and response here, Dale. Everybody say this with me. Say, I'm a minister. Do you believe that? Does that feel weird to say? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you're a minister, let me ask you some questions, and this is not to guilt you. This is to help you process what we're saying today, right? We're going to get to the grace part in a second. It's all grace. Okay. If you believe you're a minister, where are you serving? Who's helping you uncover all this uniqueness that God's placed in your design? Who's pouring into you? Who's equipping you for ministry? That's, that's our vision for 2018. Lord? <laughs> He's like, nope, I, I, I called an audible and you weren't listening. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, do you guys remember when the flag fell? <laughs> Last year, I'm preaching on politics a few Sundays ago, and we had a, the, the flags were a little more prominent at the time, and it was preaching on politics, and the, the American flag just fell right in the, okay. God is speaking. In 2018, we want to equip you for ministry. We want, as leaders in New City, we want to pour ourselves and pour our lives into yours. We want to help you uncover your unique shape that God has placed in you, the way his fingerprints are on you when he was molding and shaping you. We want to help you see yourself through God's eyes. And we want to give away the responsibility of this church to its ministers, to you. We want to give away the functions of the body to, to the body, right? Make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Working together, growing together. And I'm so excited about some of the new developments, to name a few. One starts in a couple of weeks. After next week, I hope you guys can, can be here and make, make an effort to be here before the gathering for all church prayer for the year. Um, we don't do that all the time, but man, I, I would love to see a good turnout here and us praying together for where God is leading us individually as a church and out on mission in this city. So um, please join us for that. But in two weeks, we're starting Sunday morning training sessions, and we're starting with this wonderful marriage class for four weeks, and we're saying, now we've looked and looked for a good time slot to do some training like this. And it's hard during the week because we're all busy and we're living community-style life and stuff. So we said, what about the hour before Sunday? Every once in a while, we'll do a training class. So we've got a bunch of other thoughts, finance classes, other things that we're going to be using to help you guys and equip you for how the gospel applies to all of life. Also, we want to turn our gospel shepherds. We've got counselors. We've got some people who have the heart of the good shepherd for this church. And we want to turn them loose to meet with you guys and help you uncover your unique shape for ministry and how God has placed his fingerprints upon you, as it were. So we're going to be busy doing some of that. There's a lot more to come regarding that later on. We're going to be relaunching DNA groups later on this year with a new curriculum that I'm very excited about, and I'll just say that. I'm just going to leave it there, okay? We're, we're going to start some GCM pilot groups, so help people who have never uh, planted GCMs do them faster. So we've been doing huddles to develop new leaders, and that's working great. But we're also going to start some pilot groups to get people who want to start a GCM together and run that for about eight weeks. So that's I'm pumped about that. We're going to start new huddles, probably starting right after Easter, to develop new leaders. So if you say, hey, I'm a member of this church, and I want to be a leader, I want to step in, I want to grow into what it means to be a leader. I'm scared, I'm nervous about it, but I'm down. Talk to me. Talk to your GCM leader. And lastly, of course, we want to launch new GCMs all over the city. Five of them, I would love to see three to five more this year. You know, if God's leading this, we can multiply a lot faster with these GCMs, especially with the critical mass we have in them. So I can't wait to see more gospel communities living on mission in, in parts of San Diego. I'm pumped about it. But it all starts here. It all starts with God's vision for your life and God's vision for our church. Responding to the gospel by offering ourselves as a living sacrifice. Giving yourself away to God and others is the hardest thing you'll ever do. 
to take yourself by the hand and walk yourself up to an altar and lay yourself down and say, I'm dying to being Lord of my life. I'm dying to being in control. I'm dying to have all this security. I'm dying to all this weight, to having self in the center of my solar system. God, I'm, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you the reins. It's the hardest thing we can ever do. How can we do that? If you've been a Christian any time at all, I think you'll probably know how hard that is. What's powerful enough to propel us to fulfill God's vision for our life? You know what that power is? Paul talks about it in this chapter, and I'll, I'll wind down with this. It's, it's a pull. It's a, it's a new motive. It's a pull from the inside. Here's how it works. Listen to Paul's word choice in this. Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters. Notice he doesn't say, I command you. He could have. He's an apostle. He did that from time to time, but he doesn't here. And you know what that word urge means? Urge. Literally, that's what it means. It's a strong suggestion, guys. All right? I urge you, and he says, in view of God's mercy. Now, that, that word view is not an intellectual word. It's a, it's a heart word. It's an emoting word. He says, look at God's mercies. Look at his mercy for you in the gospel. And if you see his mercy, it, you, you won't respond any other way than to offer yourself. That's what he says. And lastly, that word offer, it's, it's a very important word. It means voluntary. Now, one of my favorite obscure passages in the Bible is from Exodus. It's in the law. And it says this. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children, and do not want to go free. Then the master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl, and then he will be his servant for life. What is that talking about? I'll tell you. Um, back then, you were, servants were debtors. Right? Kind of like similar to a modern-day employee that, that's got a lot of credit card debt, and now you've got a contract to work for a long time. But sometimes a servant would really, really, really enjoy and, and love his master. And he would say, you know what? I don't, I don't want to leave. My contract's over, my debt's paid, but I want to stay with you. I love you. And he, they would take him, and they would take the spike, and they would drive it to his ear. If he saw somebody walking around with that mark on them, you knew they didn't have to be here. It was voluntary. It was a choice. And where, where do we see a better picture of that than in Jesus Christ? The one who laid his life down for us. In John 10, he says, no man takes my life from me. I freely lay it down. But the spike wasn't just taken to his ear. It was taken to his hands and his feet. He was nailed to the cross. He was, Isaiah says, pierced for our transgressions. Jesus offered himself as a servant of love for you, for me. He gave his life. Remember when he showed up after the resurrection to doubting Thomas? And he said, look at the marks on my hands and my side. How did Thomas respond? He fell to his knees and said, my Lord and my God, and worshiped him. Because that's how we respond when we see God's love for us in the gospel. When we see the marks of love that he took for us. Why did Jesus do that? Why did he take his hands off his life and surrender to the cross? It was out of love for you. So now today, I urge you, take your hands off your life out of love for him. He took his hands off his life 
became a dying sacrifice. And when you take your hands off your life, you become a living sacrifice. Yeah, you'll die to your old life, your old visions, the, the old patterns of this world that you were conformed to and molded with, but you'll rise again and experience greater life than you can imagine. The, the life you've been longing for will come rushing into your soul. Resurrection, abundant life is what Jesus came bringing. But if you keep your hands on your life, you'll always be angry, you'll always be upset, you'll always get burnt out just like I was before I took my hands off my life. But I was finally able to surrender all. And, and what, what helps you do that when you see how wise and kind and loving God is, how infinitely good he is, how much he loves you, you start being free enough to surrender to him and trust him. And where do you see that more clearly than the cross? When we see the cross, we see the mercies of God in the gospel. That's how you know he's infinitely good and how you know he's infinitely kind, how you know he's infinitely wise, how you know you can, you can trust him because he took his hands off his life for you. So now in 2018, I urge you, by his mercies, take your hands off your life for him. He took his hands off his life and he fell into nothingness. But when you take your hands off your life, you fall into his. He's the only master you won't waste away in front of. He's, this is the only altar that will give you life and won't destroy you. So I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, to view the mercies of God in the gospel and let it warm your heart and let it build up love in your heart to where you say, I volunteer, I give myself as a servant of love for him. I will be a living sacrifice for you. Let's pray. And thank you, Father, for giving us this. Not just a challenge, it's uh, an invitation, but it sure looks like a challenge to us, especially those of us who live in Western culture at this time. But I pray that you would help us to do this and begin to make a church filled with people who do this, who take the gospel and work it into life, who, who live as living sacrifices, who have the healthy context for understanding our uniqueness and gifting that won't destroy us because we understand that you gave us that so that we could be your gifts to the world, so we could give our lives away as you gave yours for us, so we can offer yourself utterly for you. Pray this in Jesus' name.